Yeah, I mean, that's the issue. It's so performative, right? Like, I don't understand why why referees feel the need to, like, make it so that everyone is looking at them. Like, everybody's going to be looking at them anyway. It's You're the referee. You're the person in charge. But, yeah, it's this the sequence where it looked like Doug Shouse was about to quick draw on Bruce and the Auburn huddle, it was like, right? It's like, actually, it might have been in the first half. Um, it was a, yeah, it was this, like, it was this weird sequence where uh, Bruce was just really, really getting after one of the other referees for, for a call that he made. And, uh, I mean, just really, really letting him have it. And then... Doug, like, comes, like, looping around from the back, kind of like he was, like, sneaking up. And, like, you could see his hand, like, slowly, slowly pull, pull it up. And I'm like, I, I saw it, and I was like, this is this is hilarious that, you know, somebody feels like they have they have to go over that over the top to do something like that. And I, I guess... Uh, Slow down, thing. Clint Eastwood. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a thing where it's like, all right, officiating is objectively a hard job. Like you're going to make somebody mad with pretty much any call you make, especially in basketball where it's so binary, right? You know, every call has, you know, a pretty immediate impact. It's it's not like football where, you know, there football, there's times where like the penalties are like very clear and obvious And, and there are hard fouls and clear fouls in basketball. But a lot of times like in the game, Saturday night, you're going to have things where you have to come up with your definition of the foul, and it's not going to be, like, always consistently applied. Right, and, like, not- getting 10 yards isn't the same as, like, going to the free throw line and automatically changing the scoreboard. Like, yeah, if you exactly. get a 10-yard penalty, but you're deep in your own territory, you still have to drive the length of the field. You know, I get on referees a lot online, and it's like, yeah, it's not easy. I mean – the extent of my refereeing experience has been like youth league basketball. And that wasn't even fun either. And it was like, you know, eight and nine year olds. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's not that I don't think the job isn't hard or that, you know, it's, it's a tough spot to be in. It's, it's the, it's the performativeness, right? It's the, it's the, well, I'm, I'm in charge here. And like, it's proof that not everybody needs like there's only like a small select few people in the world that can get authority and not and not immediately ruin it. Um, right, yeah, no matter how large or small, an amateur basketball game, still you feel like a king in this one thing. And it's like the over the top like um, penalty calls. Um, it's the you know it's the it's the stuff like that where you know that the camera's on you. I mean, everybody's looking at you anyway, right? Like, like, ah, here we go. It's my time to shine. It's like, yeah, everyone, you're the one with the whistle. You're the one who's making the calls. Like, everyone's already looking at you. Just go about your job and do it calmly. Um, and, you know, it's it, college basketball has this, has this crazy, like, college football can have some bad officiating. Like, the, the meme for forever was, like, how bad the Pac-12 was with their officials, but the fact that everybody knows basketball officials and their willingness to act out by name in the sport, that can't be a good sign. That can't, that can't be, that can't be a good sign for, for the game. And then you have a situation like in the second half in this Auburn Florida game where you look up 
Both teams are in the bonus before you hit the under 12 timeout. Love the bonus. Being in it. Getting in it. Because it's kind of like the thing where you say with um, with football, you know, the, the the whole thing in football is like, you know, you could you could have holding called on every play, right? Um, in 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 basketball, especially SEC basketball, especially basketball that played at this level, drives to the basket. Yeah, you probably could call a call. Like, there's probably contact on every play, but you've got to establish hey this is what a foul is going to be this is what a foul is not going to be um tonight and then just apply it you know fairly across the board don't change the definitions don't let guys get away with stuff earlier in the game and then later in the game that becomes a foul uh don't let uh, you know don't let the 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 flow of the game impact don't let the score of the game impact don't even let the official i mean don't even let the crowd at home impact i know auburn was at home um, and I mean, there's been some times this season where, you know, Auburn gets uh, on the wrong end of a, of a not great call and, um, you know, the next possession down the floor, it felt like it was kind of makeup call, uh, you know, against the opponent. Like, don't do that either. That's, that's, that's no way to go about it. And there was this one, there was this one instance last night, the early foul on Jabari Smith. Yeah. I don't know how well this was shown on, on TV. But Jabari gets called for the foul, 50 seconds into the second half, and he sprints to the other end of the floor to Bruce and the and the and the huddle, and is like, you know, pleading, "Hey, I didn't touch him. I didn't touch him." It looked like they were at least thinking about possibly teeing him up for that. Uh, and I think the Florida bench was they were was lobbying for it. They were lobbying. Okay, so it, it did show on the on the on TV that they were lobbying lobbying for it because. That was kind of what the holdup was right afterwards. Mm-hmm. That like I think Mike White was well, like, "Oh man, you can't do that." And it's you know, don't be don't be a narc, Mike White. I think he's a good basketball coach, but <laughs> that was a uh, and he was very complimentary of Auburn and their performance after the game. But that seems um, to be a theme right now. After losses, coaches seem to be giving Bruce Pearl a lot of respect this season, which is something that I don't think you could say all the time in no. Bruce's past. Right now, people being people kind of smiling at Bruce at these these post-game press conferences and we love will wade we stand will wade right now will wade an icon and also somebody uh, how about how about auburn's win over lsu looking awesome this week after yes. they beat kentucky uh and and tennessee back to the original point though referees man like everybody sees you uh everybody knows what you're here to do we even know some of your names, which it feels like we shouldn't. I guess my thing, Painter, is this. If you're going to be a referee that that gets known for being a little over the top, a little bit of a showman, at least do it in the right way. Like uh, Wes McCauley, uh, NHL referee. I don't know if you've seen this guy yet, but he had probably the best best call I've ever seen in, in a sport. We need more guys like this dude right here. Up with Milton. For fighting way to go, West. Oh, here you go. It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. 
Ferguson right here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless coming to you from Parts Unknown. Hello, Painter. Hello, Justin. We love our Auburn basketball Tigers. They are uh, they're a whole lot of fun to cover, I'll tell you that. It's it was one of the more entertaining teams, probably the most entertaining team I've covered in my uh career. Um this is where I chime in and say I didn't cover the Final Four team as much as I wanted to. Um but uh I don't know if that that's not gonna be a problem this time around. Um Auburn basketball, uh another big win, double digit win. We'll talk about the significance of that, uh, and the historical uh, significance of that uh, here in a second. And then we've got a lot of football stuff to talk about because since the last time we did a podcast, Auburn picked up another quarterback, or picked up a quarterback, and they might still be going after another one. And uh, the, uh, the, the rumor mill will not stop churning when it comes to Auburn basketball and the news. Uh, it's not just rumors, I should say. There's a lot of news, just straight-up news happening with Auburn, Auburn football. Uh, so we will get to all that. Appreciate everybody listening, uh, checking us out. Um, appreciate all of our subscribers, all the people who listen to the free podcast. Let's get into it. Painter, Auburn 85, Florida 73. It's another game where Auburn plays well early um there was a stretch in the second half where things got got tough florida cut it all the way to one and then i mean we just keep saying it jabari smith does that thing jabari smith does where if the other team's feeling good about themselves he can come in and just stick a knife right in their gut uh pull up jumper uh to put auburn up by four a couple possessions later uh katie johnson hits a step back three from a mile away and then, uh, and then Wendell Green Jr. hits a three to put Auburn up by 10. Uh, Wendell Green Jr. single-handedly covering down the stretch. Auburn closes an eight-point favorite. They were up by seven with eleven with uh, less than 30 seconds left, and uh, Katie Johnson decides to uh, get five points on his own um, to cover Auburn wins by 12. This, this team, and I wrote about it in the observations. I think the thing that stood out to me the most about this game is that, you know, last year, last year, this Auburn basketball team in the backcourt, they were a little too reliant on catch and shoot opportunities. And when Sharif Cooper wasn't out on the floor, it, it affected things. And when there were absences elsewhere, it affected things. And Auburn didn't really have a ton of guys who go up and get their own shot, you know, create off the dribble, um, just go and get their own looks. Now, being a really good catch-and-shoot player and a really good catch-and-shoot team has a lot of advantages. I mean, we watched Villanova a few years ago win the national title with that formula. Um, Auburn obviously had a lot of good catch-and-shoot guys uh, in their Final Four run. And these guys that Auburn has right now are really good at catch-and-shoot. But the ability to create and take shots on your own. Florida was getting into the passing lanes. This is a really good defense in terms of uh, forcing turnovers. They had a lot of steals in this game. Um, Wendell Green Jr. had some turnover issues. Uh, you know, across the board, there were some, there were just some rough turnovers, misplayed passes, um, guys trying too much. So there was a little bit more, especially in the second half, where Auburn had opportunities to kind of create on their own and you know get guys off the dribble, um, and they did that. And Smith, Johnson, and Green all did that. These are newcomers. All did. Zepp Jasper also has shown that ability this season to do that. Auburn went into the portal and then with, with Smith and the recruiting trail and got just dudes that just get buckets. I mean, these guys just get them. 
and and they don't necessarily need somebody else setting them up now catching and shooting and, and scoring off of off of assists like that it's one of the best ways to get involved it's one of the best ways and the most efficient ways to score in basketball but I mean Florida cut it all the way to one and it's just the big difference between last year's team and this year's team and I think one of the things that's going to make this team super super dangerous is that there's several guys on this floor that are fearless with the ball in their hands and they go up and they get these shots that you know take it from what could have been a situation where Florida was in the was in position to possibly take the lead and then again nope it's just another it's just another double digit win for Auburn uh, the ability to create and the ability to just get their own shot um, is something that I don't think Auburn has had in, uh, to this degree in a long time. Auburn's depth came in handy yet again. You know, we got some guys in foul trouble. I don't think there are many people that can compete with that front court. Its front court gets knocked out for a decent stretch of the game, and Auburn had other players step up, and that was a fine to good Florida team. I think defensively, that's a that's a that's a pretty good Florida team. Colin Castleton's really good. There was a you know, early on Auburn really got him uh, in trouble, and then when Kessler had to play fewer minutes in the second half, first time all season Walker Kessler gets uh, fouls out. One of the things this season for him is he's been such a good shot blocker without fouling at a high rate. That changed in this game. Jabari Smith had foul trouble. It did what? feel like obviously I'm a biased party. It did feel like the officiating again. I know was called differently on Kessler than it was Castleton. Yeah, I think they're different kind of kind of players as well, different kind of defenders, and um, it yeah, it it definitely felt like um, Kessler was getting kind of called for some touch fouls, and and it wasn't necessarily being called the same on both ends. Still, Kessler six points or six points eight boards, three blocks. You know when he in the limited minutes that he played, and he only he only fouled out with two minutes left to left to go in the game. Eh, I take that back. He played twenty four minutes. It's about around where he normally is. So. But there were just stretches of the game where he was not on the floor, and that's when Castleton started eating. And he had a great game. It was only his second 2010 game of his career. He started feeling it, and he started feeling it at the, at the right time for Florida. And like we said, coming into the game, this is one of the best players in the SEC. I mean, that's a that's an all-SEC type of performer. He won that matchup. Auburn was fine with it because we said also said coming in that, you know, Castleton and, and Kessler was going to be a really good matchup, really good battle down low. The big question mark was going to be, did Florida have anybody that could hang with Jabari Smith? Now, the officiating and the, and the foul calls you know, kept Smith off the floor for, for good stretches of it. But Jalen Williams, I mean, they didn't have a guy who could hang with Jalen Williams long term. Williams had 14. He only missed one shot. It was a three-pointer. Uh, perfect from the free throw line. Perfect inside the arc. Three boards, uh, a couple of blocks. He had, he had an incredible eraser block at one point in the game. Uh, an assist. Four-point play early. You know, Auburn goes on a run in the first half with with Jalen on the floor. He finishes the first half for him. He plays this long stretch of the second half with him. Um, you know, finishes the night with 21 minutes, the, the exact same amount. Smith, when Kessler fouls out, they decide to put Williams back in and play small ball five to finish it. Um, Jalen Williams, man, you can't say enough about this dude because he is – the type of player, and Jerry Hannon pointed it out in, in, uh, earlier in the week, and um, you know I've referenced in the observation, like Jalen Williams was Auburn's best player from beginning to end last season. He would be one of the best players, if not the best player, on a lot of Auburn basketball teams of the last couple of decades. 
uh, and even beyond. And this is a dude who is right now the seventh man on the floor for Auburn. You know, eighth man maybe, depending on the Devin and and uh, Allen, um, you know, split, whatever that looks like for any given game. And he he just comes into the game and he looks he's, – he's on fire from the beginning. His first halves recently have been top-notch. And that says a lot for a dude that lost his starting job to a guy that might be the number one pick in the NBA draft. Um, and – doesn't look like it's phased him one bit. And that that's that says a lot about the culture of this team. And I think it says a lot about the character and the and the and just the work ethic of Jalen Williams himself. Love what Jalen is providing us. Thrilled with KD Johnson. I want to shout out our our, our guy Jay uh Phillips, uh all all bond on Twitter. Uh he was at the game last night, uh covering it for on three. It was good to finally meet him in person. Um, we were talking uh, before the game, and if you don't follow Jay and don't read his stuff at On3, he's, he's, he's excellent, excellent uh, basketball um, analysis for them, and you, you definitely need to do that. Um, I uh, I talked to him before the game, and, and we were just kind of discussing a, a bunch of stuff, and I said, I was like, I feel like KD's going to break out at some point. Like, this, this slump's not going to last too, too much longer. And I didn't know if it was necessarily going to be this game, uh, but it was 23 points for KD Johnson. This is a dude who had not scored in double figures for a while, only once in the last five games. He hadn't had a game like this since Yale, really, across the board. But 23 points, three of four from deep, seven of 13 overall, six of eight from the line, three steals, zero turnovers. And on a night where a lot of people were turning the ball over for Auburn, KD Johnson was back to being the KD Johnson that we saw you know, kind of ramping things up um, when Auburn went to the Bahamas. Um, they, uh, yeah, they they really, really needed him to break back out. And this was classic kind of KD. He was terrorizing on defense, which started the, um, really started his offense. He got, he just, he just played with a lot of confidence again. It looked like, you know, the beginning of the season, um, when he when he came into the starting lineup, or even before he came into the starting lineup, it was a few games at the beginning. We kept saying like, "Well, KD looks like he's the most confident dude on the floor." Um, that you know, if Auburn was playing this like a little bit more passively on offense, he was just gonna go get his shots. He he was confident enough to go get it, and I felt like this the the stretch he's had recently kind of took him out of it some. But he hits that early three-pointer, and it was just like, all right, here we go. It's, it's starting to roll again. Uh, he had a defensive – he had a sequence late in the first half where he completely shut down his matchup on the perimeter, forced a turnover, and then hit a three on the other end uh, with, a, with a hand in his face. It's that confidence. His confidence was through the roof. And when a guy like KD Johnson is confident, that's bad news for the other team because this is a guy that stays locked in on both ends of the floor all night long. And uh, huge night for Auburn to have to have KD get back to KD form. And he doesn't have to be a 20-point scorer every night. But, man, if he can get hot like this, it is really, really dangerous. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be every game. But when you have your front court go out like that, having one of your guards step up, obviously uh, a nice piece to have there. And clearly a guy at the end of the game, I think Auburn has a few of these, that wants the ball in his hands. Uh, I was curious to see, because recently him and Bruce got into a, like a heated 
conversation on the bench. And like, I think generally in sports that just happens, right? You've got these super competitive people. Uh, but I was curious to see what the next few games looked like for KD. And he looks very much locked in. And I, like right now, something that's fun about this team and Bruce has generally done a good job with this. There is a lot of chemistry um, and, and I'm not talking about necessarily on the court so much as like the, the team liking each other. They definitely do. They definitely do that. Katie's one of those dudes is just on full tilt all the time. You know, Bruce is hard on, on some of his players and some of his players, you know, really take that, take that hard. And, and I think the body language from Katie during that South Carolina game, obviously, I mean, he was, he was frustrated. He, he had to have been frustrated. He only scored two points and he wasn't doing so well. Uh, on offense and for him to have that kind of short memory and, and, and turn it back on like that was, was really, really good to see. I think from Auburn, Alan Flanagan, by the way, Alan Flanagan, perfect four or four from inside the arc. He got downhill, especially in the second half. It looked, there were a couple of sequences in the game where he looked like it was, it was, it was vintage Alan Flanagan again. It was the guy where eh, maybe the shots aren't falling quite as frequently or maybe the half-court offense needs a little bit of help. And it's just like that dude can get downhill on pretty much anybody and he's going to get to the rim and put Auburn in a really, really good position to score um, if he doesn't finish it off himself. Uh, Auburn needed that. Auburn needed that that run there, uh, eight points, three boards uh, from, from Flanagan. He's back after missing the South Carolina game again. You know, Auburn's not going to come right out and say it, um, but uh, he missed it for, you know, medical reasons, which was the same terminology they used with, with Devin Cambridge when Devin was uh, out uh, with a positive COVID test. But he was back. It's only the second time all year Auburn's been at full strength, and it showed. Um, you know, KD played a team-high 28 minutes. Uh, Wendell Green Jr. had 20, 25. Kessler had 24, and then 21, 21, and 20. Uh, from Jabari Smith, Zepp Jasper, and Alan Flanagan. Uh, yeah, there's there's just so much value. This Auburn Auburn went 11 deep on uh, on Saturday night, and Florida had to play several guys really really heavy minutes. And Bruce said it after the game. Kind of Florida ran out of gas. Auburn pushed through the fatigue, and they and they did well. And, and fatigue was a factor. Bruce said after the game he thought he probably. Um, played his guys uh, in practice, pushed his guys in practice to get ready for Florida a little too hard. Uh, it kind of kind of came back and bit them during the game, uh, but they pushed through it. They finished it. Uh, Katie Johnson had a really good quote about uh, champions got to do champion uh, champion things. And um, so I, I just think there's there's going to be games like this where it's going to get tough and the, and the legs are going to get high. Uh, legs are going to get heavier. And the fact that Auburn can play 11 or 12 guys is just going to be the – just going to be a huge difference. We've seen this happen time and time again, and it's it's a it's a winning streak that they're on. Where I mean, the games are going to get tough. Like I said, they're probably going to lose multiple games in the in the regular season. That's just how the numbers work out right now. Uh, but I mean, once again, they are showing an ability to win in different ways. Um, Auburn shot just 18 three-pointers in this game. They only shot 13 against South Carolina. I went back and looked it up. This is the first time since Bruce Pearl's first season at Auburn where they've had less than 20 three-point attempts in back-to-back games. 
right? So it's it's been it's been seven years since Auburn has had as as little of production or even attempts. I mean, they shot forty four percent from deep, and the biggest shots of the game for Auburn were for three, so they definitely hit them. Um, but South Carolina and Florida both coming into this week, you looked at them on paper, and it's like their two point field goal defense not that hot. Um, better at guarding the perimeter, um, better at extending their defense and applying that pressure. And Auburn proved they don't have to take a lot of threes to win to win basketball games, to win basketball games against quality opponents. And that's the sign of growth. That's the sign of progress for a team that is going to, if, if they want to accomplish what they're able to accomplish, they're going to have to win in a variety of ways. As great as that Final Four team was for Auburn, and they were phenomenal, um, you know, they really had kind of one, maybe two kind of ways to beat you. Um, this Auburn team has been able to adapt. This year's team has been able to adapt and adjust to their opponent and play really, really well um, against, hey, this is what we're good at compared to here's what they, they aren't as good at, and we can exploit that. And this is another match. I mean, they don't this – the, this is the fewest threes they've taken in a week in seven years. Um, and – Yep, two two wins by a combined twenty seven points. You'll take that every day of the week. It's a good team. I, there's really, you know, it's a single elimination tournament. But right now, Auburn, I think, is in as good of a position as any team in the conference to be its regular season champion. There's a lot of basketball left, though, and some of it's luck. Like you got to stay healthy, and different teams will peak at different times. Like remember when Auburn in that Final Four run was something like. Six and seven after losing to Ole Miss again. And then they wind up on a winning streak to end the regular season. And of course, we know what happens. So, like, it's early. Uh, and Lord knows this basketball game on Tuesday means the world to me. Uh, Auburn is just one of two teams now in the SEC that are undefeated after uh, in, in league play. We only played three games. Some have only played just two. Texas A&M's only played two, and they beat. Georgia, who's not very good, and Arkansas, which is scuffling at a, at a really high level right now. Um, Auburn, meanwhile, has beaten an LSU team that has gone on to beat Kentucky and Tennessee this week. Um, they've beaten South Carolina away from home, and they've beaten Florida at home. Um, that's a that's a fantastic resume, and there's a long way to go. But this early little stretch of the season. Of, of of conference play, they have set themselves up well to be a front runner, or possibly even just straight up in the driver's seat for a long way in in this in this title race. Um, they play Alabama on Tuesday night. Alabama, um, kind of like the two teams Auburn has played here recently, can defend the three point line, not as well on the two point two point range, two hundred twenty seventh nationally and two point. Uh, field goal defense. Auburn exploited that these last couple of uh, games against South Carolina and Florida. Can they do it again against Alabama? Uh, Alabama's defense is just not that good this year uh, compared to what compared to what they normally are. I should say um, they're still a very talented team. They they're still capable. I mean, heck, they beat Gonzaga and Houston. Like they're that no one should sit here and, and try to act like since Florida since Alabama's lost to Davidson or Memphis or Missouri that they're not really really good. They're really, really good, um, but they gave up 92 to a Missouri team that was sub-500 entering the game, and 
it's been a little bit tougher for them to play defense at a, at a really high level. Nate Oates has talked about that. A team that I think defense was a huge part of their identity last season, especially with what they had in guys like, like Herb Jones. Um, it just really hasn't clicked for him this year. It, it just it just hasn't clicked for him this year on the defensive end. However, like I said, elite team on offense, elite team um, with some elite wins. This on paper was supposed to be Auburn's toughest game of the year. This this trip to Alabama on uh, uh, on Tuesday night, it's going to be. I think Auburn's going to have to play arguably its best game of the season to get this win. It's going to be really really tough. Alabama has not lost a home game since that weird one to Western Kentucky, um, you know, over a year ago. Um, it was in December of twenty December of twenty twenty. Um, they're different playing in Coleman than they are anywhere else, and they've even got some really big wins um, in spots where, I mean, the the Gonzaga win they were in Seattle for that one. It's it's going to take a lot for Auburn to win this game. And they're playing about as good a basketball as you could play. They're 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 playing exactly the how they need to to come into this game. The fact that they've they've had this stretch where they've been able to take advantage of defenses that are softer on the inside for these last two games, and they don't have to take a lot of threes. I mean, it, it's harder to rely on your three point shot away from home, and they've got the formula here. Can they do it? They, Secondly, they've got to play awesome defense. And in the second half against Florida, Florida found stuff that really, really worked on offense for them. Uh, it helped to have Castleton. It helped that Kessler and Smith were out for long stretches. It helped that Zepp Jasper was out for long stretches of that game um, as well in the second half. But Auburn's in a great position to go to Tuscaloosa and get a hard-fought win. And, it's again, it's another one of those by-any-means-necessary game games for Auburn. You just got to do get it however you can. Um but you know, even if they go to Tuscaloosa and lose, they're still in a great position because of the way they played the first three first three rounds of SEC play. Um they've got a luxury right now. And uh I'll just say you don't you don't have to say that there's there's always going to be a target on your back um when you play Alabama because it's your biggest rival, but Auburn's in a position right now where everyone's going to give them their best shot because this is the best team in the SEC. And I'm interested to see what the AP poll looks uh, looks like on Monday because Duke went down at home to Miami. Kansas lost to Texas Tech by eight, and Tech was whipping them, whipping them for most of that game. This team is going to be flirting with top five heading into this game. It's going to be a real test. And I know – Painter, there's a lot of people like you out there that have a lot of their emotional health riding on this game. I like our front court against theirs. I like yep. our depth. Shocker. Expect some of those air fouls. <laughs> Officiating this game is going to be really interesting to watch. And yeah, as you said, like Auburn's defense has to play great. This is a top 10 offense in all of college basketball. Uh, you just mentioned that you are absolutely going to get one of their best games of the year. Not just an effort, but just how this thing goes. Like John Petty was shooting 70% from three the other year. All right. Mm-hmm. So it's just like yeah. some of that's just going to happen in a game like this. And you're on the road. And it is nice that you might not have to rely on your three-point shooting as much. Something that has been uh, up and down for Auburn when they've been away from Auburn Arena. But 
There's no reason to me why Auburn shouldn't win this game on the road. I understand they may not, but I really like our chances. I really like the way we match up against them, and we have better talent. This should be an Auburn win, even as difficult uh, of a game as it is given the context you just mentioned. I'll be also be interested to see what the um, what the line looks like. Kempom's got Bama by one right now. I, I think it's going to be around then. It might be it might be a little closer to a pick'em. I want I, I want to know how Vegas reacts to to Alabama losing the way they did at, at Missouri. Um, but things can change and they can bounce back uh, pretty quickly. But yeah, you're right. The front court is the advantage. That, you know, they have a seven footer in their rotation, Charles uh, Bidiaco. They got Noah Gurley that they play, who's six eight. Furman transfer Auburn even went after him a little bit, and then it's just a lot of six six guys and shorter. So where Jabari and Jalen and and uh, I'll just be interested to see how how Walker goes up because this is a small ball, run it up and down the floor type of um, Alabama team, and they're going to try to use their speed and their offense to try to counter the fact that Auburn's just going to be a taller team and a, and, a, and a stronger team down low. Um, they don't have a Herb Jones on this team, uh, but man, they still they still got some dudes who can do a lot on offense. And when they're locked in on defense, they're they're tough to beat. Uh, they they locked Florida down in the second half uh, earlier this week, and you know so they're fully capable of it. You don't beat Gonzaga and you don't beat Houston if you're not a really really good basketball team. I don't I don't particularly care that they had off nights and didn't play as well on defense against um, Davidson and. Memphis and and now Missouri it's you know they're fully they're fully capable of beating I think anybody in the SEC and beating anybody in the country by extension um maybe the only team right now that looks like they're just living on a different plane than everybody else is Baylor but shocker defending national champions are still really really good um yeah I think if I'm not mistaken small sample size Oates three and one against Brucey that sounds right been four games, I believe, uh, with these two programs. And, you know, there's a certain level of this game where I'm going, all right, Jabari, all right, Alan, like, this is what you came to Auburn for. Yeah, I mean, the, it, it does not get any bigger than this one. And, Painter, yes, you are right. Yes, 3-1, and one. you're right, you're right. I want to see what the crowd looks like on, on Tuesday night. I applied for credentials to be there. Uh, I'm planning on being there. I haven't heard anything back from Alabama yet. Uh, they're kind of busy this weekend, as you might think. Um, but uh, yeah, they they'll play in the national championship game on Monday night. What, what does the crowd look like? I know there's plenty of Auburn fans that were that were trying to go to this game. Um, and yeah, the Bama loss to Missouri might take a little bit of the wins out of the sails of like what this means, like in the SEC and what this means nationally in a matchup, but I, I, I still don't think it matters that much. It's still going to be still going to be a big-time big time game, and it's going to be a big-time atmosphere. It's going to be a lot of fun. Speaking of big-time games and big-time atmospheres, that crowd on Saturday was at an unreal level. Um, and I haven't talked about it too much today. I haven't talked about him too much, but, I mean, once again, Wendell Green Jr., another big – game for him off the bench he's just a turnover issues yes but man his his offensive his scoring ability and also an ability to hang in there on defense and and play that at a high level was huge some of the you know, the threes that he hit and the explosion and noise and auburn arena you know it used to be even in the really good years for auburn here recently it used to be you'd only get this level if alabama came to town or if there was a kentucky game 
this is like this every home game now. And I think it's going to be this way for the rest of the for the rest of the season. It's just a packed out house. Um people losing their marbles at this at this basketball team. And it's going to go a long way. It's going to go a long way. What Mike White said after the game said the crowd was so loud that it felt like Florida was playing on their heels early. That's an advantage and they're going Auburn's going to be able to lean on that. They won't be able to lean on that next week. You got to go to Bama and then you got to go to an Ole Miss team that just beat Mississippi State uh, in convincing fashion, um, but it was it, it, it's a whole lot of fun. Auburn is Auburn is at the level right now as a basketball program that I didn't think they would ever get to. They are playing and looking and acting and sounding like a team that is fully capable of winning it, um, winning the SEC and going going deep in the NCAA tournament. I mentioned this earlier: the historical impact. It's only the first time. Nobody has nobody has fact checked corrected me uh, from Auburn on this yet, so I think it's still right. Um, this is the first time Auburn's won their first three SEC games in a season by double digits since 1969-1970. Uh, John Mangale was the star that year. Uh, he scored 60 in a game against Alabama. John Mangale, by the way, has the top four um, scoring performances in Auburn basketball history. Only. I think there's only 13 – yeah, there's only 13 40-point games in Auburn basketball history, and he had eight of them. Um, but that – I mean, that's how long it's been since Auburn has been this good to start the year against uh, against SEC opponents. Um, it's hard enough finding years where they've won three straight SEC games to start before Bruce. Uh, the fact that they're winning three and they're all by double digits is just – I mean, the net's going to continue to go up. They're seventh in Kempom, which is the highest ranking they've ever had. And Kempom started in 0102. Like I said, they're going to be flirting with top five. They're going to be flirting with top five. It'll be interesting to see where pollsters have them. And uh, there's still going to be some weirdos that have them pretty low. They're they're in an awesome spot right now. Top 30 strength of schedule, top 20 offense, top 10 defense. I don't know if there's more, much more you could ask for. Best team in the world starting to get its due. <laughs> All right, uh, I need to go grab my phone here real quick uh, so we can read uh, some podcast reviews. While I do that, Painter, tell them how they can support our podcast, and hopefully you'll be done with your spiel by the time I get back to my desk. Rate, review, subscribe. That's right. Hit us with those five stars. We love that. It's easy. It takes like 20 seconds. Come on. What are you doing? How busy can you really be? It's, It's real easy. Just steal somebody's phone. Take your phone if you have an iPhone. Take somebody else's iPhone. Uh, and uh, go to the podcast app. Go to the search bar. I'm going to do it right now. Uh, type in Auburn Observer. Click on the Auburn Observer. And then you're going to scroll down to Ratings and Reviews. And you are going to tap Write a Review. Um, and give us five stars to say something nice about Painter. Um Looks like we're caught up on reviews actually right now, so I went and got my phone for just an object lesson. Uh, but yes, uh, appreciate all of you who do support us uh, and give us um, the five stars either here on Apple or on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts that you can rate uh, at. Uh, it, it means a lot. People, More people uh, can find the show that way and more people can get in to subscribe to The Observer. 
which you can do as well for $6 a month or $60 a year. You get a bonus podcast once a week. So if you want, if you enjoy what you're listening right now and you wish you had a little bit more of it, you get twice as much uh, on the on the podcast. Um, if you subscribe, you also get all the newsletters. So film rooms, mailbags, uh, analysis, uh, post game from basketball, a lot of football stuff going on, roster tracker, because there's a lot of movement going on there. Uh, go to the Observer, six dollars a month, six dollars a month, or sixty dollars a year. Appreciate all of you who continuing to support us and help us out through that. Um, now that's enough talking about us. Let's talk about our friends at HomeFieldApparel.com. Homefield uh, is the place to get vintage collegiate apparel that is on the most comfortable t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, joggers. You name it, uh, that you're going to find anywhere. Big News Saturday, Season 3, coming up right around the corner. Uh, if you're somebody like me who just likes really cool logos for teams you might not have any connection to, Big News Saturday is going to pump out a bunch of them, um, perhaps even uh, even a school that you might like. Uh, I petitioned hard for Troy for forever, and we got Troy late last late last year. Um, but there's a lot of good Auburn stuff on the on the site. I'm going to click on it right now, homefieldapparel.com, and just shout out. We've got the basketball T-shirt. I, I saw three different people wearing the Homefield Auburn basketball uh, T-shirt last night uh, with the Vince Carter, Sailor Albee, putting his arm through the rim. Painter, I even saw, even saw a hoodie with the side eye on it, and uh, I think your influence is spreading across across our great land. Uh, once again here, willing to take the credit for that. Not sure I deserve it, but I'm happy to have you heap that praise upon me. So another really cool Auburn basketball, the original Aubie, 1965 um, design, Auburn basketball design on a nice white T-shirt. It's the most comfortable T-shirt you're going to find anywhere, hoodies, sweatshirts. You're going to want to wrap yourself up in some home field. Painter, it got cold. It got really cold back down here again this uh, this week. Um parts unknown how, how, how are we doing up there are we thawing are we are we snowed in what's going on heat wave baby we are in the teens and we are in the 20s we are experiencing the warmth did you see the uh did you see the tweet uh saturday night from the guy in canada who had the picture of his wife shoveling snow mm, had she just gotten off some shift yes okay. it was like she she had just worked like uh let's see let me uh wasn't she a nurse yeah even after a 12-hour night shift at the hospital last night my wife still has all the energy to shovel the driveway god bless her and all her frontliners time to make her some breakfast this is from john reyes who uh is some person in in winnipeg manitoba canada um shout out chris jericho uh are you Sending therapy out there in the in the in the snow and saying, "Good luck." <laughs> uh, incredible flex by him. It's amazing, amazing. Homefieldapparel dot com promo code is Observer gives you fifteen percent off uh, your first order there. And uh, like I said, more schools getting added by the uh, by the day. Painter, I don't know if you saw this. Throwing back to our lunch break days mm-hmm. coming up here. Uh, home field, not part of Big News Saturday season three, I don't think, but uh, one of their one of their special drops that they have for some of these small schools. They had Montana, Montana State <laughs> on Saturday, which was really cool. 
But uh, do you remember our affinity for the for college basketball's most important team, the DePaul Blue Demons? Of course, of course. How could I forget? Home field dropping DePaul uh, this this upcoming week week, and uh, I might ha- I might have to get a shirt in honor of in honor of the team that was somehow always on national television um, back in the day. Like I said, homefieldapparel.com promo code is Observer for fifteen percent off. Fainer, since the last time we did a podcast, Auburn football has picked up a quarterback, and we recorded the premium podcast on Thursday for, for Thursday, and we mentioned this was a possibility. Zach Calzada is transferring from Auburn to or from A and M to Auburn, um, and he will be in the mix uh, here shortly for the Tigers. You know, the more the more we get into it, I know Calzada's numbers really don't jump off the page at anybody. And the more I dig into it though, the more I feel like he should be viewed similar to how people should have viewed TJ Finley coming in, you know, this time last year, he is in a very similar spot. He was not Texas A&M's first choice to be their starting quarterback this year. That was, uh, that was something that he had to take when Haynes King went down in the Colorado game. And he had the awesome game against Alabama. He's got a little more experience than, than feeling in terms of overall starts. He's got a little bit more uh, production in terms of efficiency and accuracy. Uh, one of the big things that I saw looking at the PFF numbers, a lot better deep ball. He was actually one of the better deep ball passers in the SEC this season. Uh, and we know – uh, Auburn was just begging, especially in that that Birmingham Bowl, to hit hit some of those deep balls against uh, uh, against Houston. So he's going to get into the mix here, and I think, you know, whoever Auburn's starting quarterback is going to be next year, I think is going to have to develop, um, you know, and learn and, and and take a step forward from all the options they have right now: Finley, Calzada, now. Davis, Holden Gurner, all those guys are going to have to take steps forward and Auburn's going to have to get better around them for them to be in a spot where they need to be to compete next season. Um, but I think Calzada very much on paper and from what I could tell, you know, just kind of digging in a little bit to him, very much a scheme fit and I think a personality fit as well. I think, you know, Brian Harson was really complimentary of him heading into the Texas A&M game. Um, this year, this year, back in November, the start of the losing streak for the Tigers, Calzada did not like light it up against Auburn. But uh, I don't know if you remember this pain or not. A and M had a ton of drops against Auburn, like a lot, a lot of drops against Auburn, which really, you know, efficiency or accuracy wise, it was one of his better games all season. Uh, and um, you know, could have been a whole lot more if A and M would have caught the ball against against Auburn and. Instead, they didn't, and you know they still ended up kind of cruising to a win there. Uh, I, I just think more uh, the more kind of time goes on with Calzada, I don't think anybody's going to be guaranteed the starting job in this room right now. I don't think anybody's going to be, you know, a clear cut. This is definitely the guy. Um, but I, I view him a lot like I, I viewed Finley this time last year, and I think the numbers kind of kind of speak for it. Like more development because he's still young. Um, still has plenty of plenty of time. I think he has three years of eligibility left. Max, um, more development, fitting into this offense. What he does under Austin Davis, um, it could really really work out. 
could really work out for him. Not confident that it raises Auburn's ceiling that much this year. However, maybe you view this as a long-term move. Certainly better to have another person in that quarterback room. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think you can find some positives in this game. I'm just not going to like get overly excited about what this means for Auburn this year, but he may well become the starter. Well, and here's the here's the other thing. Here's the elephant in the room, right? Let's get to it. Caleb Williams. Um, Auburn got Zach Calzada, and it has not taken them out of the running for Caleb Williams. The premier transfer in college football this offseason, the premier quarterback transfer. This is a dude who was a top 10 quarterback in the country this season, and he's moving on from Oklahoma. There's a lot of teams going after him, and Auburn is trying to be one of them. Now, I don't have any recruiting insider intel um follow the folks that do that at, at a really high level uh, on the auburn beat um they're the people to go to for that but i do know that auburn is not the calzada move did not take them out of going after other quarterbacks and it's an interesting play here because number one i mean if you have an opportunity to get a guy like caleb williams duh you can go get go do whatever it takes to try to go get him because of how elite he is one of the best quarterbacks in the country coming at one of the best players in the country coming out of high school. He, if he came to Auburn, he would automatically be talent wise on paper, the most talented quarterback they've had since Cam Newton. I mean, like he, just, he raises your team's ceiling and probably yes. brings people with him. Like whatever program lands, Williams probably gets a couple of other difference makers too. And, you know, Auburn was going after Casey Thompson, uh, who ended up picking Nebraska. Um, you know, uh, I saw that Cam Ward is down between Ole Miss and Washington State and some other teams. Probably feeling like Ole Miss is going to be the final destination for him, but we'll see. Um, but this is the big one. This is the big fish. And, I, I mean, this is – this is college, we, talk, we were talking about it with the defensive line coach search in the last podcast, that, like, you know, when you – you can make more money being a position coach in the, in college than you can in the NFL. And it's just since the dynamics are different in football, in the NFL, you put all this money and put all this long-term future. You pay the Patrick Mahomes and the Dak Prescott's and those guys, um, insane amounts of money because that is where your value is. And, and there's so much, so much value in that. And I think in college, of course, you're not paying these guys directly to, to play f- for your school, but, I think you still want to invest a lot in the position itself and whether it's a, it's not salary money, but I think depth is a big thing because you don't want to get in a situation where somebody gets hurt. Like this, this time last, uh, this time this past year, Bonix gets hurt. Auburn has to go to TJ Finley. If they didn't have TJ Finley, where would they be? You know, obviously the staff was not confident enough in D Davis to play him. Um, this past season, whether that's the right decision or not remains to be seen, you know, with, with what Davis does with the rest of his career, whether at Auburn or, or if he ends up going somewhere else. Um, but there's no harm in getting multiple options at quarterback who not only will push each other in the room, will compete and raise the level, raise the floor of the team, uh, if not the ceiling. It's, a guy like Calzada, a guy like Finley, and then, of course, Davis and Gurner, you know, they still have value even if they're not starters. 
And so if you are able to get a guy like a Caleb Williams, or if you're able to get a guy who we don't know who might be coming into the portal down the road, because it's the thing is like the portal will continue to produce players. And I'm not saying I know of a player in particular that's, that, that, that's coming into it or planning on coming into it, but you know, Williams goes into the portal and it just shakes all of college football in this past week. And that just, you know, snap your fingers. There it is. Um, so uh, Auburn looks like they're investing more manpower, more resources into their quarterback spot. And for a guy like Brian Harson, who is a quarterback dude, it makes a ton of sense. And of course, if you're in a position where you can push for the best quarterback on the on the board, you go do it. Um, and we'll see. We'll see what it is. I think the Caleb Williams decision is going to be is going to be monumental wherever he ends up going, however he ends up deciding it, um, however he ends up announcing it. There's going to be a lot at stake here. There's going to be a lot, a lot at stake here. And it sounds like Auburn is just going to continue to be in the mix for him. That would be exciting. He, I mean, his numbers, This and again, don't want to get too, too far ahead because, you know, there's no guarantee he picks Auburn and there's no guarantee Auburn's a finalist for him. It's just, um, but there's a lot of chatter. There is a lot of chatter about, about Auburn's chances at Caleb Williams right now. And, and we will see how much of that, you know, comes to fruition. He's a top 10 quarterback in terms of um, quarterback rating last season, uh, yards per attempt. Um, I think he was top 30 in accuracy. He ran the ball really well for them, uh, for, for Oklahoma. And, and he was just a freshman. He was just a freshman. Like there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of football left to be played for this guy. And that would be a – you talk about a, a move that would change Auburn's trajectory, it looks like right off the bat, that this would be it. And I and I think they can – I think they could still have a successful 2022 without a Caleb Williams or without – like they're going to have to develop and find the best fit um, at the position among the guys they have right now if they don't get somebody else. They're going to have to get offensive linemen. Um, they have an that offensive lineman visit over the weekend from Western Kentucky. Um, they're in the mix for the guy from Cornell. I keep saying Harvard, but it's actually Cornell. I'm sorry. Uh, I know people in the Ivy League, uh, you know, really, really, <laughs> really, really care about that stuff. Uh, and as they should, they paid a lot of money to go there. Um, they're they made an offer to uh, L- the Louisiana offensive lineman Osiris Torrance. They're Trying to trying to load up here, and I think that was the thing, like you said earlier, Ben. You're like, I feel like whoever ends up landing Caleb Williams is gonna have a really, 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 really good chance at landing Mario Williams, and I could see other players around him on offense, maybe even some defensive guys that say, "Oh yeah, I want to go play with, I want to go play with that dude." I mean, it's it's hard. I think to, that's it's, almost a given. Like we don't know it to be true, but it seems like he's gonna pull people for any program because they're going to view that as a team that suddenly has some opportunity. I mean, the, that position, like every team that has won a championship thus far has had a difference maker. Maybe you could be like Jacob Coker was just an okay dude. I mean. But he still put up my, numbers. I mean, Monday night, Stetson Bennett could win a national title for Georgia, and he's not the five-star, and he is not the – Really highly rated four star either. Um, you can win. You just have to have the guy that fits, and you have to have good pieces around him um, playing at a high level. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
we're going to see – it was the whole thing about the blue-chip ratio, and Auburn's in the blue-chip ratio, and they're going to be fine um, in the blue-chip ratio, it looks like. But, like, Bud Elliott, you know, the godfather of the BCR, had, has said in the past, like, if anybody breaks breaks that um, at any point in time and wins a national championship without that, it's going to take an elite quarterback. It's going to take a quarterback playing at a really, really high level. And 2010 Auburn was the borderline team because they had, you know, they had – cam and and they did not have a ton of nfl talent on, on offense um or at all on offense besides besides cam um so you know auburn is in a spot where they're still in the blue chip ratio they're still one of the 15 most talented teams in college football year in and year out and that all that is is good and important, but when your rivals, your top two rivals, are playing for the national championship on Monday night, and they are trying to pull away from the pack in terms of recruiting, and now A and M's trying to get closer and closer to that level as well, and it's just going to be naturally tougher for Auburn to recruit. Like it's going to take years and years for Auburn to get into that to get into that sphere in recruiting if they ever do, and historically they might have one or two years where they pop a top five class, but it's just not something they do consistently. Bama and Georgia and A&M have some built-in advantages that Auburn doesn't have, especially when you're Auburn and you aren't the team that's constantly winning your division, or if you're not A&M and you have, you know, this, you're the best team in, in one of the best, if not the best uh, state to produce football talent, and you have more money than God, like that really, really matters. Um, all that to say, an elite quarterback can change a lot of that. An elite quarterback, and and we've seen time and time in football, you don't necessarily have to be a former five star to be an elite quarterback, but uh, they have a pretty good rate of of turning out. Um, and uh, you know, if Auburn can land and land one of those guys in the portal, that would again, like you said, change change so much about this team's long term, or short term and long term future right off the bat. And you don't. Want to get your hopes up too much for it? I know there's continuing buzz. It just it just does sound like I'm willing to say this. It just does sound like Auburn's going to be in the mix. They're going to have a shot. Now, what that means when it's all said and done, I don't know. Um, but I know there's a lot of buzz. There's just a lot of buzz and a lot of chatter, and we'll see how how all that pans out. A lot of time in this offseason for things to change. We've got a long time until we start getting those projections for win-loss records, but it does feel like right now Auburn could be in that territory of six, seven wins next year. You get a player like Caleb Williams. He helps bring in a couple more players to round out that offense. Suddenly you've got a recipe of a team that has some upside. Yeah, it would it would it would change a lot, and they and they have to get weapons at wide receiver, and they have to get weapons at all, on the offensive line, and they're and they're pushing for that. Um, but when you see the defensive front with the talent they're bringing back, you see the depth they continue to add uh, in the in the defensive backfield. They're going after uh, an Oregon transfer in the secondary that would give him another uh, cor- corner with some experience in if they're able to get them. Got linebackers. Um, you know, could it can keep adding there? There's there's a lot to add, and so you know, it's a big swing, but you got to take these kind of big swings if if you want to get to the level you want to be at. If you're Auburn, 
Um, and I, I will add that I think it's especially important for Harson yeah. right now because the general impatience of fan bases, their boosters, they just are not long leashes. And I don't know if you could find a program where you might have a shorter leash. I don't know. As I say that, it's like, well, Gus did spend essentially a decade here as a head coach and an offensive coordinator. And the guy before him, you know, had the had won a national title but then it took the worst season in the modern era to get him out of there, right? The guy before that guy was at Auburn for a very long time. You know, it, it, 10 years by it, today's standards, you're just not, you know, Tuberville was here for a decade. That's not happening very often at many programs now. Right. And, 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 you know, Pat Dye and Shug Jordan were combined at Auburn for 900 years. So like, this is a, this is a team that doesn't necessarily have, this isn't Tennessee. This isn't, um, Florida. Uh, but there is going to be pressure because of what's happening Monday night in Indianapolis. The fact that your two biggest rivals are playing for the biggest prize in the sport and you had a losing season this year, right? And you haven't been in the national title game since 2013. And you haven't won the SEC or been to the SEC championship game in a while. That builds up and that pressure builds up. And Brian Harson knows that and, and, this is why the the moves that they're making on the roster are the moves that they're making on the roster right now because they have to get better and have a much better offseason because the schedule is only going to get tougher because those two teams that aren't playing in the national championship game on, on, on Monday night are teams you have to play away from home. And guess what? You have not been very, very good and having any success really in the last decade there, decade plus at this point. There's a lot to be done between now and then. And also the weird thing is, is that Auburn's got to do so, so much. And then we don't even know what the impact of that's going to be for a long time. Cause they start off their schedule next year fairly easy again. And at, at home, I think they play, yeah, they play Penn state in week three. They play Mercer and San Jose state their first two games. It's going to be a while before we know what all that impact was going to be. I don't know, man. <laughs> It's going to be really, really busy, and it could get a lot wilder from here, and I think it will get a lot wilder from here. And that's not necessarily Caleb Williams' statement. Uh, again, I think what's happening Monday night in Indianapolis has, is kind of the specter that looms over all of it. So how are you going to handle Monday night as, a, as an Auburn fan? Well, I will be, um, like I think a lot of Auburn fans, I don't think I'm in the minority at all, I will be, I guess, pulling for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Now, I did this really? the last time that they played, and I did find myself on the pass from Tua to, I guess it was Devontae Smith. Yep. It hurt really badly. And I was like, man, maybe I didn't want this as much as I realized. <laughs> but it is the only thing we've got over Georgia. They have been pounding us into the sand for a decade and a half. And if I can't have that little bit to dangle over them, then what do I have? I, I said it in the mailbag on Friday. I'm excited for the national title game because I think these are clearly the two best teams yeah. in the country, yeah, even though Alabama's, Alabama's not been normal Alabama this year. It's going to be fun. They played a really great national title game the last time they were there. Look, I know Auburn fans, I know you don't enjoy it, and I wouldn't if I were in your shoes, but um, it's going to be an awesome football game. The discourse about not wanting Georgia to win because that's what you have over Georgia. It's this interesting dynamic right now with Auburn fans, because if you live in the state of Georgia, 
Georgia is your Alabama. You might view Georgia as Auburn's biggest rival to you personally. Now, even though the Alabama game is the in-state game, it's the more famous game, the Georgia series, Deep South's oldest rivalry, it's been played, it's played longer. Seemingly um, has gotten nastier. I don't know if that's just a creation of being online for me. That might be part of it. So, I mean, I get it if you're in that spot and you're a if you're an Auburn fan in Georgia and you have to deal with Georgia fans all the time and you don't want to see them happy. I get that. I understand. 100% get that. The interesting thing is I'm um, the folks that aren't in Georgia and don't have to interact with Georgia fans in person as much or you know even virtually as much are fine they're just kind of like throwing their hands up it feels like and say like oh if Alabama wins it's another one okay cool big deal you can't let Georgia have this like, you know that's, I'm, I'm more that's interesting I'm more numb to the Alabama success than I was at the beginning okay. of the Saban run and on top of that I would add Georgia has gotten to a place where they're not very worried about Auburn and that is frustrating. I think the Iron Bowl still means a great deal to Alabama. And it's not that I don't think that the Georgia game means, you know, the, the, the Deep South's oldest rivalry means nothing to Georgia fans. But it has become somewhat of an expectation, if not a layup, that they're going to win that series. That, you know, I hate that. Like, it's not to the same level as Tennessee and Alabama because of Auburn's sporadic success over the last 10 to 15 years. And they have won a couple of games in that series. But for the most part... It's starting to feel like Auburn is a bit of an afterthought to Georgia. And that's no fun for the rivalry. Yeah, I mean, I, you can't you can't argue that. I don't think you can argue that. And that's something I know that irritates Auburn fans a ton. And that makes a lot of sense. Like, that, that explanation makes a lot of sense. I was the idiot who said I thought Michigan had a really good shot at beating, beating Georgia. And then Georgia wiped them off the face of the earth. And now Jim Harbaugh is probably going to go be the next head coach of the Raiders. Good for him, honestly. I know he's annoying. He they, really I is think annoying. He, he maxed out. He maxed out what dude, he was going to do. It's so Michigan. funny because a year ago it was like this weird relationship. He took a pay cut. They, right? Yeah, it's this weird thing they had going on, and I don't think anybody really expected him to last past this year. Maybe I, I don't know what Michigan they thought that administration was going to do, but then suddenly he became a very popular person, <laughs> and he had a little leverage, and now he's like, "All right, I'm done with you, crazy college football fans." Yeah, I mean. And then Michigan, Michigan coming open. What does that look like? Who goes to the, who takes that job? Is this the first time he's left a place with like on a somewhat high note? Like I know that they ended up getting sort of suffocated by Georgia in the playoff, but at least they finally beat Ohio State and made the playoff. And like it seems like in the past, because uh, of left, his personality, it seems like he's always sort of rubbing people the wrong way as he sprints out the door. I mean, he left Stanford for the Niners, and that was like that. Stanford was really, really good at that point. This dude was, like, on the verge of getting fired. <laughs> then that's like, how about the NFL? You, would you like to be an NFL coach? Uh, we would like you to be an NFL coach again. Do you think he's just yeah. going to keep doing this until he's, like, 75, like, about Saban's age, where he's just, like, every four to six years, like, all right, time for something new. He's just going to be, like, weirdo. He's going to be, like, weirdo Belichick, and then he's going to be a football lifer, probably, and he'll just be the most bizarre human uh, because of it. Not like a... You know, old, tough, you know, hard-nosed you know, football guy, but, like, still the weirdo that he is. But, you know, the obviously gloves. did something really... The gloves yeah, obviously did bugs. something really, really well this year, in addition to the gloves. Did you think that was funny? I know a lot of people I, were I loved him. It. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, I don't even... You know, he's such a dork, but... He is a dork. It was funny. It worked. He's... You know, he, he, got, he did something right this year with Michigan. 
but yeah, like I said, I was the guy who said Michigan. I felt like Michigan had a really good chance to beat Georgia, and then that. I think Georgia wins Monday night. I just, I do. I think second shot. I. Georgia's got a better roster, and they've played. And they they have fewer weaknesses. Yeah, no, that's all true. They were the better team all year, just not on that day. I don't think that Georgia's likely to play that way again. Against my better judgment, I rolled with Georgia in that SEC championship. I won't be doing that again. I'm going to take Nick Saban and the best player on both teams, Bryce Young. Yeah, and the other thing there is is that I think I think if Georgia had a Will Anderson, completely different ballgame. Because the one thing Georgia doesn't really have is they don't have that like elite speed rusher uh, right now, and Bama does. And it's like to get Bryce Young and bring him down, you got to have dudes that have some jets to him. You got to—I mean, you know, Auburn definitely showed it in the Iron Bowl. It's like how did Auburn sack Bryce Young that many times, and then Georgia didn't, and Georgia had the much better defensive front. It was part of what Georgia was doing on offense. I mean, what Alabama was doing on offense, but it was also just like they have like power guys, and and it they swallow dudes up at the line of scrimmage. That's the thing that sticks out to me, though, Painter. I think. Georgia's got the best offensive player. I mean, Alabama's got the best offensive player and the best defensive player in this game, even though I think Georgia's got the better roster. Um, Do you think there's any idea or truth to the idea that because there's so much similarity in how the programs are run for obvious reasons between Alabama and Georgia and probably also those defenses for obvious reasons, that playing a team like Auburn that runs a little bit of a different style of defense, even with a less talented collection of players than, say, Georgia – makes it a little bit harder for Bryce Young to read and react? Uh, you know, Bryce's ability to read and react is really, really good. Um, and he had no problem figuring out what Georgia was doing in the in the SEC title game. That's what I'm saying. Uh, like, I think against his own team in spring yeah. ball and, like, throughout the season, like, he's probably practicing against a very similar look to what Georgia does. I also will say this. If Georgia doesn't get on Monday night, they might not ever get him. Right. No, I think Georgia fans are there, Ferg. I think that's a huge issue for them. It's like, holy, like this team is very talented, even if they don't have the game-changing quarterback that Alabama does. Like, this is an Alabama team that has clear definitive weaknesses, unlike ones that we've seen in a while. And some that you would think would lend themselves to the strengths of Georgia. And yet, if it doesn't work out, it's like, maybe they just got you. Maybe you just, <laughs> just got to wait till that man you, leaves. You got to wait till that man's done. And I don't think that man's going to get done anytime soon. Sorry. I just, I don't think, I don't think so. Sorry. Um, speaking of the Alabama, Georgia, um, the Alabama, Georgia title game. Um, I know you're here to listen to Auburn stuff and you might be pulling your hair out at this. Uh, I'm going to be doing an office hours on the uh, Split Zone Duo Patreon feed uh, on Monday. Uh, so if you're a subscriber to those guys uh, and you're part of the Discord, you can listen in when we do it uh, tomorrow uh, at noon. And um, if not, you can listen to it later on, on Patreon. Um, so I'll be talking with Alex, our good our good buddy Alex, about, about this matchup, and we'll probably get into some other college football topics. So, if you want to do that, just wanted to plug that there because uh, those guys are being very gracious and letting me uh, hop on board with them uh, tomorrow. 
All right, that's going to do it. We have uh, another busy week. There could be 900 million things that happen for Auburn football uh, between now and the next time we do a podcast. Auburn basketball back in action, of course, Tuesday night. Auburn, Alabama is going to be a big one. Um, and we will, uh, our next podcast, we will uh, recap whatever goes down in Tuscaloosa. Hopefully, uh, Alabama will let me go to that game because I don't think they've told anybody about anything about credentials yet. That'll do it. Appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate you guys supporting. Subscribe to The Observer if you have not already. $6 a month or $60 a year. You get a bonus podcast and you get uh, all the newsletters sent straight to your email inbox. Painter, your final thoughts. Good work on the memes. Good work on the memes. 